Chapter 19 of Northwest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Northwest by Harold Bindloss. Chapter 19 Useful Friends. Breakfast was over, and although Jimmy would have liked another bannock, he got up and strapped on his pack. Deering needed the bannock, for flour was running out. A fire burned on the stone hearth, and the little shack in a corner of the rocks was warm. Jimmy did not want to leave it, but he knew he must, and the Indian waited for him to start. They had not killed a deer, and although they had shot two or three blue grouse, a blue grouse is not large. Sometimes one can knock down a little willow grouse with a stick, but the willow grouse had recently vanished, and the Indian had caught nothing in his snares. In fact, it looked as if all the birds and animals had gone south. Jimmy had eaten salmon until he loathed the battered fish, but the salmon had begun to die. "'Your load's not big,' said Deering. Have you put up all the food you need? I've got all the food I'm going to take, Jimmy rejoined. I can load up at Kells Hope, but you must wait until I get back. Oh, well, but since I know the bush and might make better time, you ought to let me go. You're obstinate, said Jimmy. I know Jardine, and we want his help. That is so said deering and gave him his hand anyhow you have got the indian and i expect he'll hit the shortest line i wish you luck jimmy pulled up his pack and set off speed was important for he imagined he had left deering a larger supply of food than the other knew since he was going to kells hope he could get fresh supplies but deering could not Yet, if he was longer than he calculated, it would be awkward. Jimmy felt lonely and rather daunted. The shack was small and rude, but the bark walls kept out the wind, and in the cold evenings he had liked to sit by the snapping fire. Now the trackless wilderness was in front, and he must get across before his food was gone. He did get across, but he imagined the Indian's inherited talents accounted for his doing so. Jimmy himself did not know much about the journey. When he thought about it afterwards, he dully pictured the fatigue and strain, the sharpening pinch of hunger, and the stern effort to push on. At length they came down the rocks one morning and saw his clearing in the distance. Jimmy gave the Indian all the food he had, and telling him to camp at the ranch, started for Jardine's. He was hungry, and for a day or two his side had hurt. Sometimes he was faint, and when he crossed a stony belt he stumbled awkwardly. For all that, in the evening he reached the split-rail fence at Kelshope. Jimmy knew how one pulled out the bars, but they baffled him, and he knocked down the crossed supports. In front of the house he stopped, for a flickering light shone from the window, and he saw Margaret sewing by the fire. 
his broken boots and torn clothes embarrassed him but he braced up and went to the door margaret put down her sewing and her look was rather strained jimmy leaned against the table and gave her an apologetic smile his hair was long his beard had begun to grow and his face was pinched his ragged clothes looked slack and although he had given the indian his blanket his shoulders were bent from weariness oh mr leyland margaret exclaimed in a pitiful voice to my friends i'm jimmy he rejoined to know you and your father are my friends is some comfort because i'm going to use your friendship besides i rather think i don't look like mr leyland margaret's voice was gentle and she said very well jimmy but where have you come from i started about a week since from our bark shack across the range but i don't know much about it the indians at my ranch can hold out until the morning i want to borrow some cartridges and food why of course said margaret and indicated a chair i'll get supper ready father's at the depot but we won't wait for him jimmy got into the chair for he imagined he did not sit down gracefully the deerskin was soft and his head went back against the rail now he was not forced to keep going he knew he was very tired margaret began to move about and by and by he asked can't i help margaret looked up with a smile no jimmy i have not much use for the help you could give jimmy was satisfied to rest he was dull but he liked to see margaret break up the fire and carry about the plates she was very graceful and he knew her sympathetic but this was not all after the lonely bush the ranch kitchen lighted by the snapping flames was like home when supper was ready it cost him something of an effort to pull around his chair and then for a time he tried to conquer his savage appetite when one was opposite an attractive girl one did not eat like a wolf margaret knew the bush and smiled isn't the food good i really think i can cook my notion is the best hotel cook in canada could not serve a supper like yours very well said margaret if you are polite you will annoy me what did you eat in the bush salmon when i see a river i want to go the other way oh said margaret you ate salmon now when they began to float up on the stones we stopped jimmy replied margaret was moved she knew the trackless bush sometimes was cruel and all who felt its lure did not return sometimes one crossing a creek lost a load of food and sometimes one's rifle jammed then if the march to the settlements were long one starved jimmy had not starved but he was worn and thin the coffee's very good 
may I have some more? he resumed. We used green tea because it's light and goes far. But I mustn't bother you about our housekeeping. Do you know if the police have brought back the game warden? They arrived some time since and put Douglas on the cars. A doctor went with him. Then he's alive, said Jimmy with keen relief. He was badly hurt, but that is all I know, Margaret replied. Nobody was allowed to see him. She stopped and resumed with some hesitation. Mr. Stannard's packers stated... Jimmy gave her a steady glance. It looks as if I shot Douglas. In the dark I thought him a deer. You did not imagine I meant to hurt the man. I know you did not, said Margaret in a quiet voice. Very well. I must tell you all I know, but I'll wait until your father arrives. Perhaps he'll see a fresh light. Sometimes I'm puzzled. You mustn't bother to talk, said Margaret. Turn your chair to the fire and take a smoke. Jimmy pulled out his tobacco pouch and frowned. Margaret saw the pouch was flat and took a plug of tobacco from a shelf. "'Wait a moment. Don't get up,' she said, and began to cut the plug. For a few moments Jimmy watched her with dull satisfaction. She cut the tobacco in thin, even slices. Jimmy had remarked before that all Margaret did was properly done. Although it was nearly dark, she had not got a light, and red and yellow reflections from the logs played about the room. Sometimes her eyes and hair shone and her face stood out against a background of shadow. Jimmy thought the picture charming, and when it melted he waited for the flames to leap again, but by and by it got indistinct. "'Give me your pouch,' said Margaret, and he tried to push it across. The pouch fell from the table and his pipe went down. His head leaned to one side and found the chair rail, and he knew nothing more. Margaret heard his sigh and was quiet. Now sleep smoothed out the marks of strain and fatigue, Jimmy's look was boyishly calm. He moved her to pity, but he moved her to trust. Margaret was not a raw, romantic girl. She knew the Canadian cities and she had studied men. If Jimmy had, indeed, shot the agent, a strange blunder accounted for his doing so, but Margaret doubted. She had some grounds to think the shot another's. Then she got up quietly and carried off the plates. Sometime afterwards Jardine came in, and, seeing Jimmy, stopped and turned to Margaret. It was typical that he said nothing, but his glance was keen. Margaret smiled and in a low voice narrated all she knew. Jardine nodded and, sitting down, waited until Jimmy's head slipped from the chair rail and the jerk woke him up. He looked about as if he were puzzled and then said, "'Hello, Mr. Jardine. I didn't understand you're sitting opposite me.' 
I expect I was asleep. Sure thing, Jardine agreed with a twinkle. We have sorted the back room for you, and you'd better go to bed. I'm not going yet, said Jimmy. I want to smoke, but my tobacco's run out. Margaret gave him his pouch, and he smiled. The tobacco's yours, sir. Miss Jardine is very kind. Well, I reckoned on her kindness, because I want to borrow a quantity of truck. But we'll talk about this again. Do you know where Stannard is? Stannard and his daughter are at the hotel, Jardine replied, and looked at Jimmy rather hard. Maybe he feels he ought to stay until the police have settled who shot Warden Douglas. But Stannard had nothing to do with it, Jimmy replied. He was leader of your party and, in a way, accountable. Maybe you can O'Conagan started for the bush soon after you went? I didn't know, said Jimmy with some surprise. Bob claimed he hadn't a gun, and I think he had not. Sometimes I'm puzzled, but I really think the unlucky shot was mine. The Packers allowed it was yours, although they were not sure how many shots they heard. Can you locate the other stands? I tried, afterwards. In the evenings when we camped in the woods, I speculated about the accident said jimmy and pulling out a few small objects arranged them to indicate the spots the sportsmen had occupied if you will imagine the tables the clearing bob posted us something like this well i expect the warden was going straight from my stand behind the stump you're thinking about the bullet mark in front said jardine the packers told me about it. Did you see the other mark? I did not, said Jimmy with a shiver. When we carried Douglas to the house, I'd had enough. But I don't see where you lead. If the mark at the back was at the middle, he was going straight for you. Well, I'll take a smoke. He knitted his brows, and for some minutes quietly studied Jimmy's plan of the clearing. Then he said, "'It's not as plain as it looks, but the Packers reckon two of the police who went in with the doctor were pretty good bushmen. We dinna ken what they think. Anyhow, you're going to sleep, and ought to go to bed.' Jimmy went, and Jardine resumed his study. Margaret left him alone. In Scotland, her father was a poacher. In the Canadian woods, his rifle supplied the ranch with meat. One could trust his judgment about shooting. By and by, he looked up. If Jimmy has fixed their stands right, it's possible he shot Douglas, and he reckons he did so. That's something. But he has a kind of notion he heard another shot. Well, the lad's a tenderfoot. Maybe he was excited and did not hold straight. Bob would not get excited, and he can hit a jumping deer, said Margaret. 
Jardine nodded meaningly. I've thought about Bob. The warden was after him, and he lit out. There's the puzzle for the police. Three of the party quit. Mr. Deering went because he is Jimmy's friend, said Margaret. Just that. You can trust the big fellow, Jardine agreed. Then, if he was where Jimmy puts him, he didn't shoot. Stannard stopped, and it looks as if he had nothing to do with it. But I done a ken. Stannard's not a man you can reckon up, and a line from his stand would cut the warden's track. But the bullet mark... Jardine smiled. Jimmy, and maybe the trooper lad, would think that fixed it but he didn't look where the bullet came out. I wonder if Stannard looked. "'Bob is accountable,' said Margaret obstinately. "'Very well. Bob's in the rocks. Are you for tracking the man?' "'By and by he must come down for food. When he does come down, we'll try to find him.' "'Bob's a good bushman,' Jardine remarked. I allow the police will not hit his trail, but maybe he will not bother to watch out for us. He stopped and gave Margaret a thoughtful look when he resumed. Bob would reckon to find out who shot Douglas is not our job. The job is ours, said Margaret quietly, but Jardine thought the blood came to her skin. She, however, got up and when she had put out the plates for breakfast, went to bed. In the morning, Jardine gave Jimmy boots and clothes, and two days afterwards loaded him with all the supplies he would carry. After breakfast, Jimmy strapped on his pack, but when he was ready to go, he hesitated. The log house was warm and homelike, and for two days he had rested and enjoyed Margaret's society. Now he must plunge into the wilds, he frowned. The snow was creeping down the rocks, and a cold wind wailed in the dark pine tops. Then Jimmy turned to his hosts and forced a smile. "'You have given me all I needed. I knew you would see me out.' "'Sure thing,' said Jardine. In the bush, your friend's job is to see you out. You are useful, friends, Jimmy replied with a touch of emotion. All the same, I feel I ought not to bother you. I ought to start for the railroad and give myself up to the police. If Douglas was hurt by my carelessness, I ought to pay. You mustn't go yet, said Margaret firmly. You don't altogether know the carelessness was yours, and perhaps it was not. Somehow I think we will find out. Ah, said Jimmy, if you do find out the shot wasn't mine, but I doubt, and the doubt weighs on me. Margaret smiled and gave him her hand. Brace up and trust your luck. Stop in the mountains until we send for you. Perhaps we will send for you sooner than you think. Jimmy went down the path and joined the waiting Indian. 
he was comforted and when he plunged into the woods his moodiness was gone margaret went back into the house and jardine said in a thoughtful voice you kind engaged you'd send for the lad but until you satisfy the police he's not their man he cannot come back that is so the thing is rather obvious margaret agreed and smiled however since i did engage to send for jimmy i must try to make good End of chapter 19 Recording by Roger Moline